If you have a Bible, open it with me to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be in chapter 8, verse 8 down to 11. So, while you're turning there, by way of introduction, it's worth saying all biblical truth is true in every generation. Everything that the Bible says is true, no matter when or where you are. The difference is that some part of biblical truth is going to be more well received in some places and in some areas than in other places and in other times. So, for instance, if today I talked about how before God we're all equal and so we should make everyone feel equal, that would kind of be so obvious that you would say thank you very much for telling me something I already knew, I can go home now. It's just so well assumed in our culture. And when we as Christians say that, we're not really saying anything that sounds particularly out of kilter with what we just generally believe to be true. However, if you were to go back a few hundred years and say the same message, everyone is equal before God and we should express that equality uh, in life, that might cause some problems. There might be some issues there. So, for instance, in the beginning of the 1700s, the the seating at church was tiered. People would have to pay for their seat. And the the seating was tiered so that you would know who was richer and well-off at the front. And then the cheap, almost free seats at the back were these terrible, uncomfortable wooden benches, which were where the kind of the, the paupers from the town had to sit. And so just by going to church, you could see as soon as you walked through the door, who is of importance, who has the money, and who doesn't. So if I were just to talk that message into that context, that would be very controversial. But it's true because the Bible says it. I don't really need to speak that message so controversially into this context. But what we do have to talk about today, if I were to go back to that time and say it, they would say, well, that was unnecessary. We already knew all that. It'd have the same thing, but vice versa. So today, we're talking about the Sabbath. Now, the reason I think that this is so controversial, if we understand its application for today, is because we are a culture who are accustomed to having what we want, when we want. You you can see this in in the on-demand things we have on TV, for instance. We can access the shows we want to watch when we want to watch them. You can see this in food. For instance, if you were were going to go to, to, to Tesco in November and you found that they didn't have strawberries in stock. And you you said to the person, where are the strawberries? And they said, it's November, they're not in season. You would think, this is outrageous. How can a supermarket not have fruit and veg all year round? We've, We've got so used to having what we want when we want to have it. So what I want us to just consider this morning is try and forget me. I'm gonna teach from God's word I don't want you to be coming away saying either I agree with Joshua or I don't agree with Joshua. The challenge here is, is this challenge in God's word true? So if you don't agree with it, and if you come away with a different position, make sure that is grounded in God's word, not because you can think of several exceptions where you would like it to apply to you. And I do think that this is a challenge. I think that too easily we can kind of play fast and loose with these kind of commands in a way that we wouldn't with the others. None of the other commandments are suggestions, they are commands from God. 
Now, before we actually read this passage, before we talk about the Sabbath, I want to kind of give an analogy. To, so we'll start big and then we'll go small. So by way of an analogy, this is a really easy question. There's no points. Where is God? Everywhere. I'm hearing people say everywhere, and you're absolutely right. God is everywhere. Now, imagine you're an Israelite living in the 4th century BC, and I say to you, where is God? Where would you say? In the temple. Now, is it an either or? Do we have to choose, well, either God is everywhere or God is in the temple? No. God does dwell everywhere. That is true. That is true in all times and all places. But he has decided to have a special, what we we might call it like a more concrete sense of his dwelling place in this building. So we can say, yeah, God is everywhere, but he especially dwells with us in the temple. Now, that was in the old covenant. That was under the time before Jesus. In the new covenant, we still have a temple. But the temple is God's people. So we still say, just like the Israelite, God dwells everywhere. He is everywhere at once, but he dwells especially amongst his people. So it's both. There's a a general sense, and then there's a kind of a concrete sense. So we can say to someone, come to church, God is there. And they can say, well, isn't God here? And you say, well, yes, but he has promised to dwell with his people as they gather together. So in the same way, the Sabbath, what we're about to read about, has this very general sense. It's used a lot in, in the Old Testament to talk about things beyond just a specific day. Being Sabbath people is something that Israel are commanded to, to be. So people who rest in God, people who put their relationship, their um, identity as God's people before everything else, people who forgive other people's debts, people who are kind to others, people who want to rescue others. This was the general Sabbath principle. So when there were festivals like Passover or the Festival of Booths or the Day of Atonement, these were all called Sabbaths, regardless of what day of the week they landed on. They expressed Sabbath stuff. But there is a particular day that God sets aside as the Sabbath. So God dwells everywhere, but his dwelling is in the temple. The Sabbath is all the time, but there is a Sabbath. And so this is the command that he gives to his people. This is in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So let's just get our bearings with what the nature of this command is before we look at its meaning and how we might apply it. The nature is... God is saying there is a specific day set aside. For Israel, it's the seventh day of the week. It's Saturday. And it's not as though an Israelite could say, well, my Sabbath is on the third day. And another Israelite says, well, I take my Sabbath on the fifth day. No, the Sabbath is the day set by God, which he then commands everyone to rest on. 
It's set apart for the Lord. And to, to honor the day, to keep it holy, means this is the day that is set aside for the people to gather together to worship God. So notice this is not at all about the individual, or, or at least individualistic. What this is about is, this is a day objectively set aside by God. This one is marked off in the calendar so that everyone is free for the worship of God. Not only that, it's a day for rest. A day to put aside the things that you do in the rest of the week, to put aside the labors, the necessary things that you do to have a living, to, to look after yourself, to do all those kind of things. You put them aside and you rest. You put your feet up. But also they are commanded not just to be people who take rest on this day, but to be people who give rest on this day. So notice, what applies to the individual is just two words. Neither you. The rest of the command is all the people that they need to be giving rest to. Nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. They are to have rest and they are to give rest. Making sure that other people don't need to do their jobs on this day. So it's, it's a day set aside for everyone. It's not chosen by the person. It's for the worship of God and it's for having rest and giving rest. It's really important that we grasp all those things. Now, there is, of course, necessary work. There's, there's work that has to happen regardless what day of the week this is. And, and, and Jesus himself talks about this, and he doesn't say it as though it's a new thing. He says it as something that everyone already knows. So he says, when it's a Sabbath, if your uh, goat falls into a well, don't you pick it up? And kind of everyone's answer is, well, yeah, of course we do. Yeah, so there is necessary things that have to be done. And then, and then he goes on and he says, and you think about the priests in the temple, they need to be doing that on the Sabbath because it's the day for the worship of God. So if there's no one to facilitate the worship, that can't happen. So I work for the church and yet here I am. So there is necessary things that have to happen there would have been uh, doctors and the, the town guards and all those things, soldiers, all these kind of things in Israel still doing their job on the Sabbath because those things are necessary. They can't just be laid aside. Jesus does healing and he says this is absolutely appropriate on the Sabbath. We need to have people healed no matter what day of the week it is. So there are exceptions, but they are exceptions which assume that general rule of as much work as we possibly can leave behind, we leave behind. Now, as I said, in the Old Covenant, this day was on the Saturday, and we're, we're going to talk about this a bit more in a moment, but this is on the seventh day of the week. When you go into the New Testament, this moves, and the, the, the Christians, the Lord's people, are all meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. This is because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, so he moves, as I say, we're going to talk about this in a moment. He moves everything that Sabbath looks to and puts it on the first day. And so there's no kind of prophet that stands up and says, the Lord has said, we're no longer gathering on the seventh day, we're gathering on the first day. No one needs to. Jesus rises from the dead and the Christians just do it. And there's, there's no questions asked, there's no commands given. They just realize this must be the new Sabbath. So we have in Revelation chapter 1, John 
having a prophecy from the Lord, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It's a, it's a particular word in Greek, which I won't bore you with, but that word, Lord's, only appears one other place in 1 Corinthians talking about the Lord's table. And it's a bit of a funny word. It's not used very often, but it means like the Lord's very own day. Now, there's really no question that this reference to the Lord's Day in Revelation 1 is John referencing Sunday, the day that the Christians had all come to see as the new Sabbath, the first day of the week. Now, as I say, we're going to talk a bit more about this switch and its meaning in a, in a moment. But I think just for the sake of establishing the nature of this command, these things are all necessary. It's a, it's a day for the worship of God. It's a day set aside by God. It's a day for rest and giving rest. It was on the Saturday, and Jesus' resurrection moves it to the Sunday, the first day of the week. But what does this mean? Why does God do this? Why is this important? Uh, this is a good question to ask. If God has 10 commandments which sum up his law for his people, his ethics by which he wants his people to be seen by every other people by, they look at this people and they go, oh, this is the kind of God he has. A good question to ask with all 10 of them is, why does God take up 10% of this space with this command? So, no other gods before me. Well, that's fairly obvious because God alone should be worshipped. Do not murder. Again, fairly obvious. God doesn't want his people murdering each other. Do not steal. Again, fairly obvious. But when we come to remember the Sabbath day, which has just as much force as the other ten, you have to say, why does God establish this as taking up 10% of this space? I think the th first thing is that the Sabbath is this very special place where God comes to us not only as our creator, but also as our savior. What I, what I mean by that is this. God is our creator. You have a biology. You have a body, and God made that. And God has designed it to reflect his glory and his goodness in it. Now, there's a few strange things that the human body does. One of those things is it needs to spend a third of its time doing absolutely nothing and not being conscious of anything. Have you ever thought about how strange that is? You have 24 hours of a day, and a healthy adult needs eight hours of sleep every 24 hours. So God has made your body in such a way that it needs to stop. That rest isn't just kind of this thing that, yeah, you could do, you couldn't do. God is saying, no, no, if you do not rest, you will not function as I want you to function. So God has built into your biology the need for rest. And so one of the things that God does when he comes to us in the Sabbath is he says, Take a day. You can afford to. You are not a battery in the social machine. Take a day. You need it. Your body needs it. And give that rest to others too. There's a, a Roman philosopher from the first century called um, Seneca, and, and he wrote this book about various people's superstitions and, and silly practices. And, and obviously, as a Roman philosopher, he was thinking everything we do in Rome is perfect and everyone else is wrong. But he has this section where he just it has a tirade against the Jews for their concept of a Sabbath. And he just says, what a ridiculous superstition and arrogance to think that these people can just stop working for a day. You just kind of get this frustration that, no, if we say you need to work, you need to work. 
And the Jews aren't saying, oh, this is a superstition or we've earned it. They're saying, this is a gift to us from God. God has given us the freedom to not go and pick up our plowshares, to, to not pick up our sickles, to just sit back and to enjoy worshiping God, gathering with our family, gathering with the Lord's people. So in the Sabbath, God comes to us as our creator. You need to rest. But he also comes to us as our savior. He comes to us as the one who has redeemed us from uh, servitude, from slavery, from the debilitating weight of sin. So you think of the story of the Exodus. There's God's people in bondage, under the chains, under the rule of Pharaoh, and they have no freedom. They're not allowed to worship God. They're not allowed to go and gather together, and God brings them to himself, and he shows them his freedom, and he draws them out from that bondage, and he says, I've gathered you to me. You're my children. You're not slaves anymore. You're my people, and I love you. Exodus 19, before he gives the Ten Commandments, God begins by saying, um, I gathered you to myself as on the wings of an eagle. That, that whole picture there of I have brought you to freedom in me. And the Ten Commandments themselves begin in, in the beginning of chapter 20 by saying, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, before God gives any commands, he reminds you, this is rooted in the fact that you are now free because I have saved you. So, Sabbath, stop, rest, remember, God has freed me. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are given for a second time, I love that it adds this little line. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 15, it says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. I love this. Remember that you used to be slaves. Remember how bad it used to be. And so I'm going to have to command you to remember that you're not slaves anymore. God commands that we remember, in God I am free. Because it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to say, oh yeah, yeah, I've got freedom, I'm more than a conqueror, blah, 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 blah. And then live as though we're not free. To live as though we are still in bondage. To live as though we are less than what God has made us to be. And so the Sabbath is this command. Remember who you are in Christ. But we don't just have an exodus. We don't just have we were in Egypt and now we're not. Because we're in the new covenant. We have something far, far greater we have the salvation that has been given to us by Jesus as he dies on the cross, forgiving every single sin that you have had in your past, present, or future, and drawing you into relationship and adoption with the God of the universe. That is a rest that goes far beyond anything that Israel knew. That isn't just we were slaves in a land and now we're not. That is you are not slaves to fear, to sin, to all these things, to the cosmic forces of darkness that had you enchained. You are now free. And hey, guess what? The world that you inhabit is your father's world. 
free in an ultimate sense, freer than any freedom anyone else has ever known. In Hebrews 4, as Vicky read for us earlier, it describes coming to know God as entering into God's rest. I love that, that that's the same thing. Coming to know God, becoming a Christian, having God come into my life, being forgiven of my sins, the author of Hebrews calls this entering God's rest. And for all who have entered God's rest, rest from their works, just as God did on the seventh, seventh day. The point there is the most Sabbathy, Sabbathy, Sabbathy thing that could ever happen is Jesus dying on the cross in your place and welcoming you into relationship with God. In the Old Testament, the, the Day of Atonement, the festival where the lamb was killed, where the priest would come out and he would declare the forgiveness of sins, in the Hebrew it says this is the Sabbath of all Sabbaths. I like to, I like to translate that as the Sabbathiest Sabbath in the world. There is nothing more Sabbathy than being told, you are forgiven, you are free to dwell with God. Now, remember, big picture, God is everywhere, God's in the temple. These are, these are principles, this is a big principle, we rest in God, but the command comes to us for a specific day for this to be remembered. Now, in the Old Testament, one of the ways that this is talked about, one of the ways that the Sabbath rest is talked about is looking forward to the promised land. So you think of the Israelites in Egypt, they're in bondage, then they come into this wilderness period and there's enemies in the land and they're kind of walking around and they're starting to occupy it. But Sabbath is talked about as the day when the land in its fullness belongs to us. So, so taking the day one in seven every week was like looking forward to the greater Sabbath being in the promised land. Now, as you go through the Old Testament prophets, they start to realize, hang on a second, the promised land was itself a shadow of the new creation that God is making. When he completely remakes this world, perfect as it should be. So, let's, let's get this in, in its proper order. The Sabbath, that day a week, looks forward to the promised land, and the promised land looks forward to the new creation. We're not waiting for the promised land anymore, but we are waiting for the new creation. And so what I want us to, to grasp is, we're much further than Israel ever went. We have experienced a salvation far beyond what they ever experienced. So something has to change when we think about the Sabbath. They're looking forward to this day to come. And we're saying, well, in Jesus, this has come. He rose from the dead. The new creation has broken into this world. So we can't Sabbath like we used to. We can't work, 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 rest. Work our way into rest. We can't do it on the seventh day anymore. Instead, Jesus rose on the first day. In other words, the week now functions like this. Rest, work, 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 work. Rest, work, 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 work. Because resting in God now takes primary place because the new creation has broken in in Jesus. And so the order switches. We don't descend into rest anymore. We are to ascend from rest. All rooted in the fact that Jesus rose on this day. So we're still waiting for the new creation in its fullness. 
But nonetheless, we Sabbath in a way that honors where we are in the story, if you see what I mean. So the point that I'm trying to make is this. We should agree, we should find ourselves in agreement with the apostles. I think that's a, a, gen, a generally good place to be. And the apostles see that because Jesus has broken in the new creation, our Sabbath needs to match that. And so we are going to rest on the first day of the week. Now the point there is that we don't lose that kind of concrete expression, that, that day set aside. It's moved to Sunday. Now as I say, this is the position that you would find at any point in the history of the church. You, ask, you go back in time and you ask anyone, what day is the Sabbath? Oh, the Lord's Day, Sunday. This only becomes challenged in the 1920s and 30s. This is the first time in church history this becomes seriously challenged. Now, today this is very unpopular. It's not very popular to say actually there is a day set aside for the worship of God. There is a day on which we are not supposed to work, which we are supposed to rest ourselves and not make others work. That means as much as we might like the idea of going out for lunch on a Sunday or grabbing a coffee or doing those things, the command is don't work and don't make others work. It's a day of rest, objectively, for this world to see. Hang on a second. We need rest. And you guys have it. It's a day for the worship of God, for gathering together. As long as shops open on a Sunday, someone, people have an excuse to say, I can't make it to church on Sunday. I think that's a, a genuine challenge for us to think about. The first time I started reading about Sabbath and, and kind of going into the theology and history of the church on this, the thing that struck me on it was, it was I was looking for a job and I, and I knew that this was a place that I used to go and eat at on a Sunday. I was looking for a job at this place and I was thinking about how if I would say, I'm sorry, I can't work on a Sunday. The fact that that's, that's pretty hypocritical on my end because they're saying, well, hang on a second, we have to open on a Sunday because people like you come to eat. I think, okay, well, I have to work through that. And I was really surprised coming and, and seeing how the church have wrestled through this and thought through this before. And uh, I think what I've come to see is that we have a world that treats people, as I say, as batteries. Overworked people are far more uh, prevalent nowadays than underworked people. We have a world that says, no, 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 we call the shots and you either are there or you're gone. We have a world that says there is nothing more important than what you do with your life, with your work. If we're Christians, then we come and say, hang on a second, the most important thing about me is that I'm redeemed by Jesus. What's far more important to me than this world is the world to come. What I need more than anything is to rest first and foremost in God. So of course, we shouldn't Sabbath in the way that Israel used to. There are, of course, changes because Jesus has come. But nonetheless, it still fixes, uh, this command still fixes to us in the same way that we shall not murder, that we shall not commit adultery, that we shall not steal. This is a command from God where he has to come to us because we often forget this and he has to command us to remember, you are not a slave. I bought you. Rest. The world will go on if you are not there to do your job, spend time with me. Spend time with your family. There are more important things than work. 
And so the irony is that even though it's a command, we can sometimes miss the blessing that's there. I often, I love it in Genesis 1 where it says, and the Lord commanded them, eat from any tree in the garden, it's all yours. That's such a strange commandment. Have some free food. And we have this ability to take blessings and turn them into chores, to turn them into burdens. So I don't want us to miss that this is a blessing, not a burden. The Lord is not saying anything that you would like to do, anything that you consider fun, you can't do that anymore. Instead, what's happening in the Sabbath command is that God is saying there are more important things than your work. There are more important things than the things that make other people work. Rest and worship. These are the things which should dominate our life more than other things. And so, if we kind of come back to that big picture, small picture thing from earlier, it was because God dwelt especially in the temple that the Israelites could be so confident to pray to God wherever they were. When the the temple is, is built, Solomon blesses it. He talks about when they look to this temple and they pray to you, we know that you will hear us because you have dwelt amongst us. That's proof that you want to hear us. So in the same way, if we say the Sabbath day, Sunday, is set aside for rest, for giving rest to others, and for worshiping God, what that's not saying is, and on Mondays, I work people silly and I don't care about God. What that's saying is, what is true about Sunday should infuse itself into every day of the week. Every day of the week is a day where I know I'm loved by God, I rest in God, I give rest to others, I don't put burdens on people's backs. And so we have the principle, but when we come to Sunday, when we, when we finish the week and we start a new one with rest, we put aside time specifically to not just tell ourselves in our head, but to live in such a way where we know we are free in God, we rest in God, we give rest to others, we gather with God's people, we hear the word of God, we're challenged by it, we're encouraged by it. For some people, when I gave this message last week, someone said to me on the Monday, that was the message I needed to hear, I've been so overworked this week, it was, it was real encouragement. I thought, oh, fantastic. I could guarantee that for other people it would be going, oh, well, there's actually things I really wanted to do on Sunday. And so I think there's some sense in which this command, the, the reason why it's almost so strange is because in some sense it stops us in our tracks. And it says, no, 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 don't do that. But what I don't want us to do is to, is to stop at that point and then just grumble against this without stopping to see, hang on a second, I'm being stopped in my tracks because God is offering me something which is really quite beautiful here. Something really quite profound. So Seneca can come and say, who do these people think they are, thinking that they can just stop? And we can say, children of God. And I care about God a lot more than my boss. I care about God a lot more than whatever responsibilities or tasks you can throw at me. The world will go on without me. I can afford to rest in God. And so we also have a responsibility to give that rest to others. So I think, for instance, I I have a big problem with the fact that schools often pile on homework to a point where the child has to be doing homework on a Sunday. Amen to that. This is an inner, well, obviously they're not claiming to be uh, godly or following after God's law, but this is one of the ways we can see God's law not being honored and having an effect on people. Overworked. We have that responsibility. Whatever context you have 
an ability to give people rest, the Sabbath commandment says to you, do. If you're in a context where you could be keeping, giving people the day off on a Sunday, do. If you're in a context where you can, it's not necessary work, you can rest on a Sunday, do. If you're in a context where actually Sunday isn't really relevant, but you could be giving people more rest than you are currently, then do. But more importantly than any of those things, as important as they are, the most important thing I think we take from this is that we know in our heads and in our lives that I am someone who can afford to rest because I rest in Jesus Christ. That he has paid the price for me. That I don't just have a day of atonement like Israel. That was the Sabbathiest Sabbath. I have an even Sabbathier Sabbath. My terminology isn't very polished on this uh, topic, but I think it makes the point. So I really want us to hear the joy of this commandment. Because it means that every Sunday, we remind ourselves, no matter what is going on in our life, let's say, for instance, you've woken up this morning and you just have this weight hanging over you, something is going on. You say, hang on a second, it's the Lord's day. Jesus rose from the dead. That means that the new creation has come. That means that God isn't finished. That means that the new creation is yet to come. And so we can take our weight, we can take our burdens, and we can say, I'm looking forward to the new creation. I'm looking forward to the ultimate rest that God is going to bring. But let's say you've woken up, and you've had this amazing, joyous experience this week. You stop and you think, it's the Lord's day. This is the day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That means that the new creation is broken in. That means that the new creation is yet to come. That means that this joy that I'm experiencing right now is nothing compared to the joy that I'm yet to experience. And so I can enjoy this joy with even more joy, knowing, hang on a second, this joy is going to pale into comparison when I receive that full joy. And it's not just like Christmas, where once a year you kind of drive through the streets and there's that nice feeling. You can just see that people with their families, that the lights are on, and you think, oh, this is nice. I wish we could have this every day. But you only get it once a year. This happens every week. Every week, new creation's coming. This weight will be gone. This joy will pale into comparison. Every week, we remind ourselves, Jesus rose from the dead. And that changes everything for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, even though you have freed us, we are so liable to make ourselves slaves again. And so give us ears to hear that commandment to remember that we are not slaves. We are children. We are free. We are bought by your blood and indwelt by your spirit. And Lord, for some of us, we will need the courage and the boldness to start resting on the Sabbath. For some, we need that relief of resting on the Sabbath. Lord, I pray for whoever wants to take this command seriously, that you would work in them this morning and give them the strength and the joy to make the most of this glorious commandment. Lord, we pray that where identities are put in work rather than in you, you would change that. Pray that where people have made themselves or have been made into batteries to charge some societal machine, 
that they would be given the dignity as a person made in the image of God. We thank you for your salvation. Amen.